0: Welcome to Creekside. Can I just tell you guys something? You guys all look really, really good this morning. Everybody's. why are you all dressed up so much? Is today significant? You guys look better today than normal, okay? No offense. Uh, I'm so happy you guys can be here. It's a beautiful day outside. We get to celebrate a risen Savior today. You can clap for that. You know, as I woke up this morning, I'm praying about what we're actually Celebrating today, this is big. It's significant to me. Life changed when Jesus Christ defeated sin and death and rose. And that's what we celebrate this morning. So, when we sing these songs, I want to focus on the significance of the words that I'm singing. But I also don't want to get caught up in what I'm doing, and I just want to praise my Savior. So, I want to forget about everything else around us, and we want to be able to come here this morning and praise a risen Savior. And not worry about the people around us, but just be so excited to sing and praise and listen to these exciting words about Jesus conquering the grave. And so I challenge you this morning, just be happy. Enjoy this beautiful day outside, and our Christ has defeated sin and death. He is on the throne.
1: God, if there's one thing I know is true, you do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God, my prayer is that as one church, we would lift up one voice, one song this morning, that our king is risen, that our king has defeated death. You are our God. You have done immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And all God's people said, Amen, you can have a seat. That's yeah, exciting. I, uh, if there's one thing I know from just this last week, that was our number one prayer, is that God would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And yesterday, 350 people heard the gospel. Okay, let me try that again. Yeah, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah. So first of all, we just need to say thank you to God for that because I was in here yesterday and there was a ton of people at the Easter egg hunt, a lot of people. Thank you for all the people who were there and put a lot of work into it. But the temptation for me was to be, man, we're awesome, right? But every single Saturday night, if one thing's true about me, every single Saturday night, whether I'm playing music or preaching, I always come to the point where I'm like, I feel good about this one, right? And then, like, five seconds later, something happens in my life where God's like, you silly goose, it's not about you, right? So let's try this. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, I love that. You got it. Let's do it again. He is risen. He is risen yeah. All right, today we're going to do a little two-part message and first, first part, we're going to answer two questions, and then we're going to take communion. We're going to remember Jesus. And then the second part, we're going to, I hope, my prayer is that it launches us into a celebration of Jesus. I love it, Benjamin. You keep clapping, buddy. I love it. All right? And our kids are in here. We love life, so don't worry about that, all right? If they're just counted as celebration, all right? Two, two questions I want to answer, first of all, this morning, and I'm going to do it in, in now eight minutes. Number one, if Jesus was God and all-powerful, then why not just take himself down from the cross? That's number one. Number two, how is the crucifixion of Jesus good news? Literally, the word gospel means good news. Okay, so how is the crucifixion of Jesus good news for the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly, right? We have every single one of those four represented in this room. Some of you are beautiful, some of you are ugly, some of you are good, some of you are bad. I personally fit into the ugly category, right, and my wife buys me one shirt a year and it's pink. I love it. You can see, she argues that this is orange, Alright, peach, that's nice, that's good. Peach, I don't know what's worse, pink or peach. So, I love pink. Question number one, I want us to turn to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, it's going to be on the screen, you can turn to it in your Bibles, on your phone, on your iPad, whatever you got. But just follow along here, I want us to find ourselves in this. Okay, I want us to find ourselves in this and make it personal this morning. Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucif- they, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they One of the criminals who were hanged railed on him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And that's where we fall, okay? That's where we find ourselves. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Question number one, if Jesus is all powerful and if he is God, then why not take himself down off the cross? First reason is that Jesus in every way was absolutely obedient to his father. Mark 14, 36. And Jesus said, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Remember, we talked about this a while ago, but this cup was the cup of God the Father's wrath poured out on Jesus so that the cup of righteousness could be poured out on me, right? And here's the thing, we always think about, we talk a lot about, Okay, we even went over with the kids yesterday about Jesus' beatings, about his mockery, about all of that, about the physical anguish that Jesus went through. But here's what we don't think about a lot, that his emotional anguish, his spiritual anguish was far, far worse. Because if my sin had to be taken care of by a righteous God. And it did, because God is just, my sin had to be taken care of. And Jesus did not want to die. Jesus did not want to suffer the physical and emotional anguish of the cross. He asked God, his Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way, take this from me, right? But what happened was, my sin, right, Your sin, whether you're here and you've acknowledged that or not, and my prayer is that today you would, but our sin was taken off of us and put on Jesus. What does that mean for his relationship with God the Father? It means that God the Father, as holy and just, had to pour out his wrath on his own son, and he had to turn his back on him. The emotional anguish that Jesus felt at that point was far worse than any physical anguish that his father turned his back on him. And so we learned last week why why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he doesn't want to do this and he says, yet, not what I will, but what you will. He knew from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned that God the Father had this plan in motion to sacrifice his own son. You know, I'm, not, I'm never gonna sacrifice my son for anyone, right? We said this last week and if I do, the amount of love that I'd have to feel for that person would have to be immense. I mean, unfathomable, but God did that for me. And then Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Father to crush his son. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So the first thing that held Jesus on the cross was that he was absolutely obedient to his Father in heaven. And the second thing, and this should break you to pieces. It should, right? The second thing that held Jesus on the cross is one word, joy. Let me say it again. Joy held Jesus on the cross. How is that possible? Could you be joyful in that moment? Could you be joyful in that moment? I love having the kids in here. It's awesome. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy in what? First thing, is that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had the joy in his heart of future reward, knowing that if I endure here, if I endure now, it will all be finished, it will all be accomplished soon, and I will soon be seated at the right hand of my Father in heaven. I mean, he told the people that crucified him, before they crucified him, that they would see him sitting at the right hand of power, This is amazing. This is amazing. The joy of future reward. And here's the thing. As Jesus died on the cross, the joy of my salvation, that's number two, the joy of my salvation, the joy of your salvation. I firmly believe that God the Father and Jesus was thinking of your name because he's all powerful, right? God was thinking of your name as he watched Jesus suffer on the cross. The joy of our salvation held him there. The band, you guys can come back up. I know y'all just got excited because you think that that's all I have to say this morning. It's not. So, the band's going to come back up. And we have, in a moment, we want to be reminded of our need for a Savior. But this is unbelievable because if the joy of my salvation held Jesus on the cross, this leads us to answering question number two. How is the crucifixion of Jesus good news for the good, the, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly? Right? How is that good news? Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the deal. While I was still in my sin, Christ looked at me and he said, remember that video last week? He said, I want that man. While I was an enemy of God. You hear this at my house often. We, we tell our kids, we say, how do we treat people that are mean to us? How do we treat people that hate us? And their answer is, we love them. We're kind to him. Why can we do that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for every single one of us. While we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. I mean, that should rock our worlds. That, should, that truth alone should change our life. But it doesn't end there because there's more to the story. But for right now, we're going to take time just to worship. And the bread and the juice are here They're actually gonna be passed today. We want you just to sit in your seat and contemplate what I just said. And my prayer is that God is just speaking to your heart, that he's tugging on your heart, that the crucifixion of Jesus is absolutely personal for you. His body was broken in the symbol of the bread and his blood poured out in the new covenant and he's offering this lifetime commitment to us. So I want you to sit there in your seats, I want you to sing, I want you to celebrate, I want you to remember your need for a Savior. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's okay just to let it pass, right? Nobody's looking at you anyway, right? Just let it pass and think about confronting your need for Jesus this morning. Because this is the most This is the most important decision that you will ever make. This is life and death spiritually, right? It's life and death physically, too. After death, there is life. And so consider that this morning. Everybody has to do something with Jesus. God, I just pray. I pray for every heart in the room, God. I I pray that they would come before you. I pray that I would come before you and be reminded of my need for a Savior. That the joy of my salvation held you on the cross. Father, receive all the glory right now as we worship you. In Jesus' name.
0: The moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. The savior of
1: How can I possibly come boldly to the throne of God? My shame is too big. God doesn't know what I've done. I thought church was all about religion. That's why I have never, I've not come. I've wanted to be a part of a real community, but church is just about religion, right? Right? So how can I possibly, boldly approach the throne of an almighty God? Father, I just beg with you for every heart in this room, whether they are here and they know Jesus and they have a relationship with him, but, but they are stuck in their shame or whether they've never come to you in repentance of their sin for salvation, God. I pray for every heart in the room today that today is the day of salvation, that you would either remind us of the freedom that we have in salvation, or God, that you would save some today. Because I can boldly approach the throne of grace because i there is no condemnation in the name of jesus there is no condemnation in your name jesus there is only freedom only freedom from guilt only freedom from sin only freedom from death and there's people in the room right now god that are just holding on to desires, God, that are worldly desires because you have come to set us free. You have come to set us free from the need or even the ability to earn anything. God, we obey you because we love you. We obey you because you have set us free. And the knowledge that I cannot do anything to earn your grace is so freeing. It means I can't mess up where you can't love me. It means that no sin, whether it's a sin lived out one time or it's a sin over 50 years, no sin is greater than the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we celebrate. God, the freedom in Christ that we have has taught us or should have taught us the art of celebration. That to be free in Christ is to celebrate. And so God, I pray for freedom on every heart this morning. That there is no one left in this room that has not acknowledged their sin for, to you, God. Acknowledge their need for a savior. Because there is nothing else that matters. True freedom, God, not freedom that the world defines. True freedom is in Jesus. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're just going to read 15 verses. 16, 1 to 15. Here we go. Because we know that the death of Jesus is not the end, right? The death of Jesus is not the end. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. and they were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone for, for, for us from the entrance of the tomb?" And looking, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a man sitting on the right side, dressed in white, in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. Right? Thank you. Don't be alarmed. I saw him die. I saw him be buried, and he's not here. Somehow that's not comforting. Don't be alarmed. I'm freaking out! Okay? This is the reality. afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I want to start off by just saying, here's the deal. There is so much physical evidence that something happened surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the secular world, okay, undertook to define what happened with that physical evidence, right? Now, I'm talking non-church people, non-religious people, okay? There's so much physical historical evidence that something happened surrounding the thought of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I just want to share really quick with you, just because it's good to know this stuff, but it helps us think of the treasure that we have in the, in the resurrection. So I want to give you four quick views of this, again, the non religious world has put these together surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, they went to the wrong tomb, right? Okay, I guess that's possible because people in grief sometimes get confused, right? People in grief and grief can take a lot of different forms, but here's the deal. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, and and Peter preaches his guts out, right? And they're telling him, you've got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, right? And they say, what? You tell me. If it's better for me to obey God or to obey man, but we cannot help but say but talk about what we have seen and heard, right? Right? If they went to the wrong tomb, why why wouldn't the authorities just go and roll out the body from the right tomb, right? They would have been like, stop talking about Jesus. He's dead. We'll show you. So that loses water right there. Number two, Jesus' followers were so filled with grief, they hallucinated, right? Well, here's the thing. Again, possible, right? But Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. So we're doubtful that group hallucination happened. Right? So that loses water. Number three, this has got the most traction among, again, the non-religious world, but the swoon theory. Okay, get this. The swoon theory says that Jesus was beaten so badly that he passed out. They thought he was dead, and they buried him. Okay? Now, I hear that, and yes, this is coming from a Bible-believing Christian. I think that's just crazy. Right? You think, think about it. So somehow, Jesus was beaten so bad beyond human recognition, he was pierced through his side, probably puncturing his heart, pouring out blood and water, and somehow he passes out. They bury him. He gets enough strength back to crawl up to the tomb. And remember, it says, it was very big, he somehow moved the tomb and then went to his disciples and convinced them that he had defeated death. And then they wrote about it. Right? There's no way that happened. And number four, and this actually has biblical, not weight, but this is what appears in the Bible. In Matthew 28:11, it talks about the fact that when the guards who had guarded the, guarded the tomb saw that Jesus was gone, they went and they ran to the priests, and they were like, he's gone. He, I mean, he's literally gone. He rose from the dead. And they were like, no way. You cannot tell people that. You need to tell people his body was stolen, that his disciples took his body. So number four is he was, it was stolen. But here's the deal. Before Jesus rose from the dead, and the disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit in them at the day of Pentecost, Peter was a coward, right? I mean, Tim just spoke about this. Peter was a coward. He denied Jesus for fear of death. He denied even knowing Jesus for fear of death, right? But after, historically, it's thought that every single but one of the disciples were martyred for the name of Jesus, right? If they had stolen the body, then in the face of death... Personally, as I'm being hung upside down, crucified upside down like Peter, right? Oh, okay, I stole the body. I stole the body. I, said, I don't want to die. I stole the body. It's over. This is it. This is, there's nothing to this. We stole the body. It's not real, right? There's no way that the body had been stolen because after the, the Holy Spirit came into the disciples, they lived with a power that no one had ever seen before. Right? And here's the thing. If you're a believer, that power lives in you. That power lives in me. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I love this passage on the resurrection. Verses 3 through 6. For I delivered to you as as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They're like, some of them are still alive, you can just go ask them. Like, this actually happened. Let's go down to verse twelve. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ from the dead, who he did not raise from the dead if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He repeats himself over and over again because this is important, right? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then all who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of whom have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came... By a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death let's go down to verse 32 he says this to them what do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised let us eat, drink and tomorrow we die if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die I want to give you three things. And first I want you to remember this, it's just simple. If he did not rise. If he did not rise, three things are true. Number 1, if he did not rise, our faith is in vain. Number 2, we have no hope and number 3, we have no power in life. Listen, if he did not rise, then our faith, everything that we believe is in vain, right? that we would be misrepresenting God and we are still in our sins. I might as well just walk off the stage right now. I might as well not do this anymore, right? Because if I'm still in my sins, then it leads to number two. Then I have absolutely no hope. If he did not rise, then I have no hope. I mean, I think about my, my cousin. He just passed away, right? He passed away at 32 years old with a two-year-old son, a wife, and a, a baby daughter on the way. That baby daughter was born three weeks after he passed away. He passed away from cancer, right? How is that just? How does that make sense? But if Christ rose from the dead and I'm no longer in my sins... That means that my hope is far beyond anything in this world. You know what that means? It means that even when I don't understand, I can have faith in God. I can trust him even when he doesn't do what I want him to do. I begged for my cousin's life. Right? God didn't give me that. He literally gave Keith Jesus. I love that. This this passage says if in Christ only if we hope in Christ only in this life then we are to be pitied above above all men. You, you may have heard of the prosperity gospel, but it says if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then Jesus is going to reward you with physical wealth, right? Well, here's the deal. If Christ didn't raise, that's your only option. You get that? If Christ didn't raise from the dead, you have no hope for the next life, so you might as well get everything you want in this life, right? But the sheer fact that Jesus rose from the dead and we have hope after death for life says that I don't have to get everything I want on earth. Sometimes Jesus blesses us like this. But he promised me that if I follow him, I might be persecuted. I might suffer. Why can I do that and still rejoice? Because my hope is in the next life. My hope is far bigger than I could ever be, right? So if he didn't rise, I'm done. I'm just going to do what I want. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? But that's not the truth. And number three, we have no power in life if he didn't raise. John 14, 16, and 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you, and we dwells with you and will be in you. And then John 16:7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. He's talking to Jesus talking to his disciples. It's to your advantage that I go, and he's talking about his ascension into heaven to be with his Father after he rose from the dead. It's to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And what's the job of the helper? This is the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit in our life is first to convict us of sin. It's to lead us to truth, okay? It's to lead us to share truth with other people. It's to give us words to say when we're persecuted, right? It's to lead the world to the truth of Jesus. So it's got to start there. It starts with the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, and then after that, you live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has not left us alone and said, hey, this is how I want you to live. Good luck. He didn't do that. He sent us a helper, and that is powerful. Most days, I don't realize the Holy Spirit's power in my life. Maybe I'm alone. I don't know. But if Jesus did not raise from the dead, I am still in my sins and I have nothing to celebrate. But if he did raise from the dead, then the opposite of everything I just said is true. Right? And so that gives us something to celebrate this morning. Right? And so in a moment, we're going to sing again. We're going to end our service with some singing because we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. If he did rise, then my faith is everything. If he did rise, then I have hope. And if he did rise, then I've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to do amazing things. This is incredible. I was talking to Ken Taylor on on, um, Wednesday night. Band, you guys can come back up, because we're going to get our celebration on in a moment, all right? I know that scares some of you, all right? So just, just bear with me here. I was talking to Ken the other night, we were talking about how different people worship, right? So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to picture this in your head. And don't just make it a spiritual answer. You don't have to say it out loud, so it's rhetorical, so you can be honest with yourselves, right? Okay, I want you to picture this in your head. What is the single thing in your life that that causes you the most excitement? Okay? What's the single thing in your life that causes you the most excitement? When you get excited about that thing, how do you physically react? Right? I mean, in my family, in my family, my wife, when she gets excited, it is business time. All right? That just, I went to the wrong spot in my mind with that. When she gets excited, she gets down. I don't know how else to put it. She gets down to business, getting stuff done, right? Focus, all right. When Micaiah gets excited, he just smiles, right? He just smiles. I mean, the kid just has a great smile. You have a great smile. When Margot gets excited, she gets like a little giddy girl. She's not even paying attention to me right now. But when she gets excited, she gets really giddy. And, and excited, okay? When Ivy gets excited, she just screams, and it's horribly obnoxious, but we know she's excited, alright? Judah and I are a lot alike. When we get excited, we're cool, but we may just be walking through the house, and just be like, and then just keep going, right? That, you, you know that's right, alright? Because we're weird like that, but we show our excitement in different ways, and Heather's like, you guys are weird, and we're excited, you know? We all show our excitement in different ways. My question is, are you excited about your salvation? Are you excited about the fact that those three things are true because Jesus rose from the dead? We're about to get our excitement on, okay? All right, so I think we need to practice this a little bit. I want everybody to stand up. I want everybody to stand up. All right? Here's the thing. When Adam sinned, death came into the world. When Jesus died, life was given back. Do you understand that? If Je- I'm going to say this again. If Jesus did not rise, we are all still in our sins. But he did. All right? So we're about to get our clap on. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to do this in church. We all, I think I, we need to like practice celebrating. All right? You're going to think I'm a dork. We're about to do the slow clap. All right? My wife just laughed in terror. All right. Here's the deal. We're gonna slow clap, y'all need to learn how to clap. It, for me, universally, clapping is like, it's a universal way to celebrate, right? You watch sports, you clap. You, you may scream, um, but clapping, it's just a good thing. So here we go, Mike's gonna give us a beat, and in the words of John Glock, no one is too cool for school to do this, right? So everyone, even the people in the back, I can see you, all right, get your clap on, all right? And then we're gonna, we're gonna worship together. So here we go, Mike. He's going to give us a slow beat first, and then we're going to clap. Okay, this is, is for us. And it's going to get faster. Come on. And we are clapping for our risen Savior, right? risen Savior. So as we sing to you, God, we know that you are not in the grave. You have defeated death, and we celebrate our life in you, Father. May everyone come to you this morning with a repentant heart. As we celebrate, we love you. We love you. And all God's people said, "Amen." amen. Let's celebrate together to end our service. 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the simple, most straightforward explanation of the gospel in scripture, I think. Because here's the deal. I know there's some people in the room who are, they've just been at the edge. My question is, why? Why? I mean, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be right before God because he died for those sins while you were still a sinner. And so I heard it said this one time. For God so loved. You get that. You get how deep that love is. For God so loved the world. That includes Everything that you think is between you and Jesus right now. And for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, there's somebody in your life that is like that. That you've been praying for for a long time. And here's the deal. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. For God so loved every single one of us. So there is no sin more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all right, right now. But come to Jesus. That's where it starts. Talk to somebody today. Talk to me. I'll be around. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to somebody you trust. But deal with that today. Because freedom is yours to be had in Jesus Christ. So the band's going to play as we leave. Thank you for coming. We hope to see you back here. And I just am praying for your salvation. It's awesome. Happy